he's going to do through that trial. Here's what it looked like for Jesus. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 12 too how Jesus faced a trial, a big trial, huge trial. Hebrews tells us that Jesus, going to the cross, he set joy before him. For the joy before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame as he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so what was Jesus' outlook? What was his philosophy about this great trial of the cross? He looked beyond it to the joy that he knew that would be his when the trial was over. When he had accomplished the glorious work of uh, purchasing salvation for mankind, once it had been accomplished, when the forgiveness of sins was dealt with once and for all through his death on the cross, once that had been accomplished, he knew the joy that would come. And he knew that one day he would sit at the right hand of God, exalted as king of kings because of that work. And so he saw what that trial would produce. And so how did he view the cross? With joy because of what it produced. Now, when we think of trials this morning, what kind of trials? James says here, look at verse 2. He says, consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, many different types of trials. You see, for Mankind, our experiences in a fallen world that we will face many different trials, many different sources of those trials. Sometimes it's just the normal flow of life. It's an accident on the road. Um, it's a sickness that may come. Sometimes trials come because of the enemy, because of Satan himself. Sometimes trials come simply because God allows them and he brings them, he sends them. Sometimes that makes us a little uncomfortable, but that's what God does, and we'll see why in just a second. Now, in the book of James, what are they dealing with? What kind of trials do we see here? Well, we see a few. Some are because of the enemy himself. Some are because of their own evil impulses, right? They have selfish attitudes, and that's going to lead to division with other people, so they're going to face trouble with relationships. Some are dealing with wealth and status, how they see themselves. They think they're better than others, and as a result, this is going to cause problems. I want to show you real quick. Here's what some trials look like in our house this week. I was sitting down, what was it, Thursday night, and my oldest son said, I'll just call him out. By the way, that's, that's just props of being part of my family. You get called out. Uh, so... Um, I was sitting at the table, and my, my oldest son said, hey, listen, will you, will you help me with my, my math homework? I was like, sure. And so I'm sitting there, and we're, we're working on it, and all of a sudden, he busts out some flaming Cheetos, and it was this. You hearing that? It sounded more like this. You hearing that? All right. <laughs> I was like, dude, what in the world? And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm writing math problems. Gosh, this stuff is salty. But I'm sitting writing math problems, and I'm like, really? And, and he could tell it was bothering me. So he just took some more, all right? <laughs> um, yeah. But so small irritants, right? 
And sometimes at the dinner table, you know, you got a kid smacking or, you know, or, or ice. Who loves ice being crunched? You know, there's a disorder for that. Not for crunching the ice, but being irritated by it. Um, but also, it was receiving news that my wife's sister, Bobby, uh, got news from the doctor that, that she has cancer. And so, when you think about life, you think about the small irritants from chips being crunched and chewed. They're real. They're small. And then you have those type of troubles and trials that, that kick you in the gut, right? Those blows that knock you off your feet type of trials. And so James here, when he says various trials, he's talking about the whole gamut, the different wide range. But he wants us to know that to all of them, there is a great purpose. Clearly, in our culture, in our world, we're fascinated with something. We're fascinated with the elimination of discomfort. We're fascinated with the elimination of trials. In fact, we're obsessed with it, I would say. Because what do we want? We want life to be neat. We want it to be easy, full of comfort, and we want pleasure instantly, right? But that's not life. But if we're all honest, that's what we want, right? We want that. But life is messy, it's hard, it's full of discomforts. We get stressed out. We get overwhelmed by it. Often, we're looking for ways to cope. We're looking ways to get that comfort when difficulties come. And often, as a result of that, we battle with anxiety, right? Because of the pressures of life. It's real. It's real life. So how do we deal with trials? Here's the first thing I would tell you this morning is simply this, is that you cannot separate Jesus from your trials. You can't. You can try, but biblically speaking, you can't. Think about this. Jesus is in the middle of your trouble. You can't just put him aside when trouble comes because it tells us in Acts 17, 26 this, that Jesus, Paul says, has lined out our boundaries he has put us in the place where we are uh, living right now and exactly in the time we're living, Acts 17, 26. And so what does that mean? He knows the trouble. He ordained the trouble. He ordained the trial you went through this week as part of his purpose. So, so you can't kick Jesus out of your troubles. He's right in the middle of them. So what do we do? Well, the Bible tells us in Psalm 46, 1, this, that Jesus is an ever-present help in what? Trouble. Meaning he's abundantly available in the midst of trials. And when we face trouble, like James is encouraging us to, we discover something. That the greatest part of this joy that he has in mind is first this, is drawing closer to Jesus. He's the source many times of the trial, and he's the source of all joy. And it's in those trials where he wants us to come closer to him, to draw closer to his presence. 
Psalm 16:11 tells us in God's presence is fullness of joy. And sometimes we experience that presence in the midst of trials. And what do we find? We find joy in the midst of trials because Jesus is right there. He's walking with us. He's going to take us through them. And he's going to hold us up. And so, look what James says next. Look at verse 3. You can't separate Jesus from your trials, but there's also specifically a way that we face these trials with overflowing joy. Excuse me. Look at verse 3. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. This idea of knowing means this, that for you know. It's the idea that don't be surprised by this. Don't be surprised that trials are tests. And he doesn't mean that they're exams that you pass or fail, but what he's saying is that they're tests that produce something in us for our good. So think of it this way. Um, how many of you guys got jewelry on this morning? You got jewelry going on? Some of you ladies, some earrings, some necklaces going on? Um, they didn't start off the way they are this morning, right? They're, they were in a state of ore, a state of, of metal. And they weren't pretty. They, they weren't beautiful. You know, many of your jewelry this morning, it's full of perfections. But it used to be full of imperfections. And so what do you have to do to get the jewelry to look that way? You have to take it from this state of ore, from, from this metal down, and you have to melt it down with this boiling hot temperatures. And what does it do? It gets rid of all the imperfections. So eventually it can look like the jewelry you have on this morning. You see, that's what God does with tests. That's what he does with trials. He refines us. Remember who he's writing to. He says the brethren, right? He's writing to believers. And he's saying that I want you to understand trials and tests, they come to knock off the imperfections so that you eventually, we'll find out in verse four, can be more and more like Jesus Christ. Trials have a purpose. And the first thing he wants us to see here is they produce endurance. Endurance. This word endurance is the word perseverance. It's the word uh, staying power. I think that's a great word, or a great two words for marriages today. Staying power. That's what endurance is. It's toughness. But what does that really mean for us? I mean, we can use the word endurance. We kind of get that, especially in the athletic sense. We understand what endurance means. But what does it mean when it comes to trials on the day-to-day -day basis? What does it mean on street level? Here's what I would say. Is first of all, it means you have a fixed direction. That's what endurance is. It's having a fixed direction. It's knowing this, that I'm chosen by God, I'm a child of God, I'm walking by faith, I'm living for his glory, I'm all about his kingdom. That's what he has for me. That's what the life he has for me. And that's my direction. That's what I'm fixed on. And then the second thing is this, that I have a firm purpose. I have a firm purpose that impacts what I do and how I do it. Because that's what purpose deals with. 
I have this fixed direction. I, I know which way I'm supposed to go, but what does that look like as I go through it? What's my purpose in the day-to-day? Here, here's what I would tell you. It, it, it looks like this. It means practically I have a reason to talk in a certain way. So my speech is in a certain way, and we're going to see that in James 3. It, it means this. Practically speaking, um, I have a reason to handle relationships in a certain way. It means I have a reason to handle my money in a certain way, my time, my energy in a certain way, the things I desire, I handle them in a certain way. Why? Because I have a purpose. And my purpose is as a disciple of Jesus that I am to be his disciple and I am to make disciples as I go through life. And so I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in every part of my life. Whatever my role is, whether I'm a husband, whether I'm a wife, I'm a dad or a mom, I'm a student and I'm an employee, Whatever it is, I have a firm purpose. And so it means in difficulty, I don't abandon that direction. I don't abandon or forsake that purpose. Now, when you think of that type of endurance, that isn't just something you just muster up. That isn't just something that just, just, just comes to you. Now, I would say this morning, and I want you to hear this this morning, because I think this is important, is that This is a product of God's grace. It is a gift. It's something that God grants to us. It's staying power. It comes to me in uncomfortable forms. He works it out. He brings it out in difficult times. And God will take you to places. He will take you through times that you never intended to go to or go through to get something out of you that you would have never known otherwise. That's what he does with trials. This is why James says you can look at trials with all joy. Because ultimately they're a sign of God's love for you. It doesn't mean God's against you, but that he's for you, that he loves you, that he cares for you so much that he will take you through a trial to produce in you staying power, endurance, a fixed purpose that doesn't go away when difficulties come, a firm, uh, a fixed direction, a firm purpose that you won't forsake even in the midst of problems. And guess what? That endurance, it increases. Just like when you're preparing for a marathon or a half marathon or that 5K or whatever it is, as you're running and preparing for that, your endurance builds, so it is with trials. As trials increase, God, what he's doing is building your endurance, your patience, and your trust in him. But what else is he producing? Look at verse four. Last verse we'll look at. He says, let endurance have its perfect result. So there's a goal in mind. What is that? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Endurance produces something. It produces maturity, spiritual maturity, Christ-likeness. As we go through the trials of life patiently, trusting Jesus with this fixed direction, this firm uh, purpose, we grow. We grow in maturity. Paul says this in Romans 5, 3 through 5. This is what he says. He says, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, our troubles, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. Proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. 
So with the small, irritating moments of life to those heart-riching devastations, God is developing our character that we would be like his son, that we would be like Christ. So I want you to hear this morning, maturity is not the absence of trials. Maturity is not the absence of troubles. It doesn't mean with time and with age that trials and troubles lessen. In fact, I have learned they just get bigger and they mean more. But what it does mean is that God is working on us through trials to produce something greater in us. And that's God's way. And it is best. But how does that rub up against us? Because let's, let's be honest, we would rather be more comfortable. I think if, if we were honest, we, we'd rather be more comfortable. And here's a hard word. I, I think sometimes, we probably wouldn't say this outright, but I think sometimes with our actions and, and how we treat life, sometimes we'd probably be, rather be more comfortable than holy, right? And we can all be honest. We can go to that class and say, yeah, I'm Jerry. I'd rather be more comfortable than holy, right? Yeah. And so, what might that look like? I'll tell you this. If you value comfort more than character, trials are going to upset you. Right? You're like, well, duh. <laughs> so think about that. If, if your heart is ruled by comfort, what does the second day of vacation look like when the kids are chaotic? You're loving it, aren't you? You're like, man, I'm so glad we did this. <laughs> right? No. No. But here's what I want you to hear. In that chaos, because it's a little weird for your kids too on day two, because you're throwing them out of their norm and they're like, woo, this is cool, this is new. Let it roll, let it fly. And they do. God's in that. God's in that chaos. And he's working on you. He might be working on your kids too. <laughs> Is your heart ruled by power? So what happens when you feel like life is out of control, when things aren't going your way? You know what I mean? Like you might be one of those that you like everything tight and needy in order, right? And then what about when the schedule's just thrown off and it ain't? It's tough. Maybe your heart is, is ruled by affirmation of people. And I, I'm not saying that necessarily is a bad thing, but sometimes we need it all. You know, maybe you're one of those that you need it all the time, and if you ain't getting it, what happens? You fall into depression, right? You can get low. What about if we value material and physical more than the spiritual? We're gonna have a hard time counting trials as joy if that's where we're at. If we live only for the present and we forget the future eternity that awaits us when trials come, what's going to happen? Instead of us being made better, we're going to be made bitter, right? Because we're losing sight of what God's doing to make us more like him. You see, often during trials, we have bad attitudes, right? We can. Whether it's visible or it's in our heart. 
During trials, we can question the goodness of God. We've probably all stood there before. We've probably all doubted his love at one time or another when taken through trouble. We've all wondered, is God as good as the Bible says he is? When we've sat in the midst of adversity, often during trials, we can give ourselves over to an attitude of impatience and irritation. I namely can do that in the car with the horn. Let that just kind of sit. Often during trials, we can give ourselves to envy. And here's how that looks sometimes. We, we look at other people. We're going through a trial and a tough time, but we look at other people and say, and see, God just blesses them, and they never have problems, never have trials. What about me? Where's my blessing? We can do that, right? You might be sitting there this morning saying, oh, I know people like that. <laughs> we can do that. We can do that. And here's, here's where it can get really sad. So, sometimes trials can move us into bad habits, right? And ultimately cause us to, to back away from God's direction, from that fixed direction we were talking about, from that purpose, from that firm purpose. And here's how it looks like, is, is instead of praying more and drawing more to his presence, I, I take steps back. And I don't pray as often as I should. I don't read the Bible as often as I should. I, instead of going toward community, I withdraw from community. I've seen that. Instead of coming to worship, I'm there less. You see, what happens sometimes is we become comfortable with that distance between ourselves and God. Sometimes trials can take us there instead of us closer to Christ. You see, how we respond to the difficulty of life is an issue of the heart. Are we going to choose joy? Do we want the path of joy? It's the path of hard knocks, but do we want that path? Because ultimately, it's a joyful, glorious path. And if we want that, it will produce in us something great. But if we don't, here's the deal. Here's the deal. If we're not willing to consider trials joy and understand what God is doing, producing endurance and producing ultimately more Christ-likeness, we're saying, Jesus, I don't want your agenda. I don't want your agenda. And so that's where James is going to eventually get in his letter because he's going to be like, hey, if you don't want Jesus' agenda, then is your faith real? Is it real? Because James is going to say, hey, listen, I mean, trials are part of life. And God has a purpose for them, to grow us in relationship with him. And what James would say is you can't separate perseverance and maturity. You want to get through the trial? You got to let God grow you through it. Let him work on your heart. Let him work on your speech. Let him work on your thoughts. Let him work on how you handle your money. Let him work on relationships. Let him take you there. You can't separate endurance and maturity. God is working. And here's his goal, that you would eventually lack nothing. He has a goal in mind. He wants to grow us up through trials. Now, when are we going to lack nothing? 
The Bible answers that for us and tells us when we see Christ, we will be like him. So until then, we will face trials. But how will we face them? I love what Job says. He says this in 17.9. I think Job is probably a good one to turn to. He understood it. He says, the righteous will hold to God's way. I would put in parentheses, even in the face of trials. See, Job didn't have to, right? <laughs> He's like, duh. <laughs> the righteous will hold to God's way, and he who has clean hands will grow stronger and stronger. That means as we face trials, we have a fixed direction. We have a firm purpose. And as we go through these trials, he grows us stronger and stronger. He makes us more like him as we hold to his way. And we trust him. As we close, we wrap up. I want you to hear just a story. It's a cute little story, but I think it, it lands. It's called the story of the oyster and the pearl. There once was an oyster whose story I tell, who found that some sand had got into his shell. It was only a grain, but it gave him great pain, for oysters have feelings, although they're so plain. Now did he berate the harsh workings that had brought him to such a deplorable state? Did he curse at the government? Maybe some of us are. Did he cry for election? Maybe re-election. Um, and claimed that the sea should have given him protection. No, he said to himself as he lay on his shell, since I cannot remove it, I shall drive it, or excuse me, I shall try it to improve it. Now the years have rolled around as the years always do, and he came to his ultimate destiny stew. And the small grain of sand that had bothered him so was a beautiful pearl, all richly aglow. Now the tale has a moral, for isn't it grand what an oyster can do with a morsel of sand? What couldn't we do if we'd only begin with some of the things that get under our skin? You see, what God wants to do is he wants to work on us. Sometimes that might mean some sand in our shell. But those trials that come are to produce something greater in us. That we, too, would be a pearl. That we would grow in Christ-likeness. And so when trials come this week or today, whether they're small irritants that bug you up the table, whether they're the gut-kicking blow, Remember what James says. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you face trials of many types, knowing they produce for you endurance. And that endurance has a purpose. You're to stick with it because God's growing you up to be more like Christ. Let's pray. As we pray this morning, I'm going to go back to 
what James said about himself. He says he was a servant of Christ. He talked about being part of a community of believers, brothers and sisters. I don't know where you're at with the Lord this morning, but one thing we know about James is is he knew Christ personally as a Savior. And maybe you're there this morning and, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so I just want to encourage you this morning as we talk about trials, as we talk about troubles. No doubt you, you've gone through them too. And I want you to know that, that Jesus came to address our greatest trouble. And that's the trouble of sin. That's the trouble of self that we all battle. And he died on the cross to forgive us of our sin. To make us new, to, to give us spiritual life, to, to cause us to what the Bible says to be, be born again, to be a new creation in Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and, and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you. The Bible says if you believe in Christ as your Lord, and you believe that Jesus died and that God rose him again on the third day, that you will be saved. That doesn't mean we'll be saved from all of life's trouble, but what it does mean is that we'll be saved from life's greatest trouble and that we will have new life and that one day we will be with Christ forever, no matter what happens. That's where God wants to begin this morning with you if you've never trusted in Christ. Let me encourage you, believe in Jesus this morning.